Have you ever invited someone into your home and enjoyed a meal together or maybe uh, went out after services on a, on a Sunday night and enjoyed a meal and talking and conversing and just catching up? And then when you left there, maybe you didn't say it out loud, but you just thought to yourself, I, I really appreciate those people and I, I, I feel better about life and, and about friendships because of what we just enjoyed at that dinner table. If you've ever felt that way, and by the way, this is not the lesson for this morning, it's just a, a notation and a comment as we get started. If you've ever felt that way because of a physical meal, I hope that there are times when we get through observing the Lord's Supper that we feel that way. I know it seems somewhat like a checklist because we, we sort of rush through it, or at least it feels sometimes as we do, and, and uh, we... we we're on a schedule, we've got, you know, obligations to keep, and we've got to get the preacher into the pulpit, we've got all these things we've got to take care of, we lose sight of the fact that, that our focus in worship is to remember and exalt our Savior, and, and I believe that the cornerstone of that is the observance of the Lord's Supper. We just shared a meal with one another, with some of the greatest people on the planet, and also with the one who died for the remission of our sins. It's not just something else that we do. It, it should make us walk away thinking, I feel better about life, and I, I feel more positive about the future, and I, I have less worries than I did before because I enjoyed that meal with my Savior and my Christian brothers and sisters. I know that you might see some, some holes in the assembly this morning, in particular uh, our college students away on retreat. Uh, be praying for them. Uh, they're probably already uh, on the road, many of them headed back, if not getting loaded up to head back, and uh, Lord willing, they'll be back with us tonight. I know they've had a good, enjoyable, uh, encouraging weekend. Um, they might sleep through services tonight, but they'll at least be back in San Marcos and be here with us. We're certainly thankful that they've had the opportunity to get away. There's a statement that's made in First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. It's not, again, not the text of our lesson this morning, but the, the sons of Issachar. Martin mentioned a whole lot in the Old Testament, and really the point of the passage is to number them, to tell how many there were. But there's a statement that's made about those men before the number of them is given that has uh, probably been used as much as any obscure Old Testament passage has ever been used. The Bible says that they were men who understood the times with the knowledge of what Israel should do. There were men who understood their times, the times in which they lived, and they had wisdom about how Israel, not just that tribe, but how Israel should live in response to those times. One man has noted that we all live somewhere and we must swim in the waters around us. We need people, do we not? who understand our times, who can appreciate where we are in, in, the, in the history of humanity, in the history of the church, and understand how the Israel of God, the church, should act in those times. Our somewhere, our waters, are drastically different in many ways than the waters of the past and perhaps then those of the future. You see, some never thought we would get here. 
to where our time is. You know, there was a time when futurists predicted that one of the greatest challenges facing America in the future was that we would have too much time on our hands. There was a study that was done and testimony that was made in 1967 before a Senate subcommittee claiming that by 1985 that the average work week in the U.S. would be just 22 hours long. Instead, our annual work week and the hours have increased from 1,716 on average in a year's time in 67 to by the year 2000 almost 1,900 hours per year. We work an average an hour longer a day than those in Great Britain and two hours longer than those in Germany or Italy. So where is our time? Where are our waters? What are we talking about? In a word, and really it's not fair to boil it down to this, in a word, we're busy, aren't we? We're busy. In fact, just ask anyone how they are, what they're doing. If there's not something immediately in, in, their, in their way, for example, a death in the family or a wedding upcoming or a newborn baby, if there's not something immediately there that, that's happened that's life-changing, the general answer in modern America is, I'm busy. I'm fine, but I'm busy. I'm okay, but I'm busy. I've been sick, but I'm busy. Everything is qualified by those waters. That's where we swim. That's the people that we are. Kevin DeYoung wrote, and I wanted to share this with you this morning, in his book, Crazy Busy, he said, most mornings we drag ourselves out of bed, start the day's routines, and hope against hope that we can simply hold our ground. Maybe we can keep the the house in only a mild state of disaster. Maybe we can break even on the to-do list. Maybe no one else will get sick. Maybe the inbox won't get any fuller. Maybe we won't fall asleep after lunch. Maybe, just maybe, we can get enough done in the next 18 hours and so to beat back the business enough or to beat, beat back the business done and live to see another day, we wake up most days not trying to serve, just trying to survive. Busy waters. That's where we swim. That's where we live. Those are our times. And we need men and women who understand how Israel should act in the midst of that. If possible, rid our lives of some of it. But if not, glorify God in amongst our business. Friends, I would contend this morning that that we're better than this. And that God intended something better for us than this. That he didn't just call us to muddle our way through the marsh of life but to be exalted, as we're going to talk about this month, above the fray. To not be bogged down and held down and and to have our light and our influence and our zeal and our joy and our Christianity and our commitment overwhelmed and drowned out by the times in which we live. You know, one study suggested that commuters have a higher stress level than fighter pilots. And I'm not sure that it's just because of traffic. It's what's waiting on me when I get there and what I didn't get done when I, what, that I've got to cover when I get back home and what Saturday already holds and Sunday afternoon already holds because we are a busy, cumbered people without any relief in sight. There, there are two reasons, I believe, why our 
here is here, why our busyness is here. And, and, and we, you might disagree. There, there might could be 10. We might could boil it down. I'm going to just give you two by way of introduction. Number one, our opportunities are different today than they used to be. I remember growing up, and I've said this to people, particularly in this planning part of the year where we're trying to get things ready uh, for the, the summer. I remember a time when I was growing up where we had one week of summer camp. We went on vacation, probably no more than two or three hours from the house if we went on vacation, for about three or four days. And then we had maybe a week or two at grandparents. And the summer seemed like it lasted forever. You seen a summer schedule recently? We're, we're searching, and, and, and the dates finally are in the bulletin. Hopefully you'll see those this week and mark your calendar. I've been searching for where to put youth mission trip and VBS. Why? Because we have at least three different camps now that, that our young people go to, at least part of our young people. And then there are maybe four. I would add Servants Academy at Southwest now to that. And, and since school summers have somewhat shortened since maybe our time there and, and even shorter than that of your time, depending on the generation that you're in, and when you put, you put four things on the calendar that are not directly related to us, and then you put our stuff there, is there a week left? And I know the answer to that. In fact, sometimes we just have to choose between two or three or four or five different things, and that's just the summertime. It's not counting when school's in session and school sports are being done and extracurricular activities are, are a part of our schedule. We are a people who, are, who have almost unlimited opportunity for education, for leisure, for recreation, for entertainment, for vacation, for travel. But not only that, we're a people who have complexity. Our world is defined by that. Let's never be fooled into, into suggesting or believing that technology makes things easier. You suppose it, it was simpler to move out, to get your own place, and to get a job 30 years ago than it is today. I mean, just think about changing your oil. Now, depending on where you live and what regulations you follow, it may still be simple for you. But things are different nowadays than they used to be. And things are far more complex than they've ever been. And so we've got all this other stuff on our plates and on our shoulders and in our minds. And then just navigating, just stepping into the world just a, a applying for a job or, or get, trying to get into school or trying to get scholarships, the complexity of our world and the, and the numerous opportunities. We are a people who are swimming in busyness. Where again, we just hope we can knock a few things in the next 18 hours off of our to-do list so we don't feel so overwhelmed tomorrow that we, that we don't want to get out of bed. There's a, there's a psalm that I believe speaks to the heart of what we're talking about. Open... Open to Psalm 39. Open to Psalm 39. We're going to take a look at, at the six verses that were read earlier of this psalm this morning together. As it relates to this idea of being exalted above the fray. Now, I probably need to stop and ask this question. What do we mean by the fray? Now, I know that we've spent probably about ten minutes now describing the fray as busyness. Understand and realize that th this series of lessons and the plan for this year was put together back probably in October. 
And so when I thought of that, that's the only thing that was in my mind. That's the only thing that I was thinking about was this idea of overcoming our busy schedules and being the people who slow down and see God as we began our worship service this morning by singing, be still and know that he is God and, and be able to reflect, to take time during the Lord's Supper and our worship, to, to not be so stressed or worried about tomorrow's to-do list or activities. But I'm not sure that for everyone in every season of life, that the fray is simply busyness. It might be sorrow for you. It might be loneliness where you are now in life. It might be so much time on your hands that you feel that you're not useful because no one's plugging you in or giving you a job. Still, God intended life in Christ to be more than that. He intended for us to be useful and to be valuable and to be important to be significant to the church, to the people in our community, to our families, to Him. To be His workmanship, devoted to His cause. Maintaining His obligations and regulations along the way. But I think in Psalm 39, what we find is David in the midst of, of, of where we're talking about today. This, this society of... Fast paced. Now I realize no internet, no technology, no run, no uh, electricity. But David felt like people around him were running a hundred miles an hour and weren't really focusing on the things that were right. Set the stage. Notice how he begins the psalm. He says, "I will guard." I said, "I will guard my ways, that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence." Now we quote that verse a lot of times to indicate that we ought to use our tongue for positive things and we ought not to say things we ought not. It's not exactly what David was talking about. He's saying, listen, I noticed something that was around me and I chose to just be quiet. I felt like that was the best thing that I could do is not say anything about what was going on because if I said something, I was going to say something I shouldn't. So while the wicked were around me, I just didn't say anything. I was mute and silent. Notice this. I refrained even from good. And my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot or burned within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Now, let me just tell you, what he says in verses 4 and 5 is the answer. We're going to save that to the end. But, but listen to the scenario here. David said, listen, I saw this going on around me, and I didn't know what to do. Because I didn't, maybe he didn't think people would listen. You ever felt that way? Ever thought that, that maybe people in your life were too busy, were too overwhelmed by things that shouldn't overwhelm them, but you thought to yourself, they'll never listen to me if I say something to them? They'll never cut back. They'll never carve out more time for God. They'll never spend more time with their family. They've been this way since I've known them, since they've had their career, since they finished school, since they graduated from high school. They, they've been like this. It'll never, it'll never be different. David said, listen, I thought that, and while I sat there, my sorrow grew worse because I watched humanity spinning and toiling and laboring for nothing. And finally, I had to say something. And what he said again is the answer, verses 4 and 5. We're going to say that. What I want us to do is drop down to verse 6. 
Because what he does in verse 6 is he gives us a description of life lived in the fray. He gives for us a very vivid picture of what it means not to rise above the waters in which we live and the society in which we were born. To, to just buy into this, this thought that, that busyness and effort and energy spent must equal importance and significance in life. And here, here's what it looked like. There, there, were, there were three things. Let's read the verse together in verse 6. Surely every man walks about as a, as a shadow or a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Three things about these individuals who live life in the fray. Number one, they live disengaged. They live disengaged. Note it says, I walked around as a, as a phantom. New King James and ESV say as a shadow. You can sort of see me, but I'm not really there. It's the idea. That you just sort of move by. By the way, ever felt that way in your home? As you were just shadows passing? Didn't really get to speak this morning. Didn't really get to talk last night. Didn't really get to eat supper together this week. We were just passing by. Like shadows. Like phantoms. Like vapors. Not that you really were those things, but your busyness and your efforts and your energy spent elsewhere made you feel that way and made those around you feel that way. You know, there's a, a term that's used today that, that I'm assuming that at least a certain section over here will appreciate and, and a missing section right around here would appreciate. It's a term called ghosting. Just by show of hands, ever heard the term? Keep your hands up if you know what it means. Hey, that's awesome. Good. Not a lot of explanation then. The idea is that, that you send someone a, a message by, by social media or by text message and then they don't respond don't look at me. Um, and it's, it's said that they're ghosting me. Just they're, they're fading into the background. They're not responding. And sometimes it's done, particularly in relationships, where a guy and a girl might be talking, and the girl gets tired of the guy, the guy gets tired of the girl. Usually it's the other way around. It's usually the girl gets tired of the guy. And so she, she ghosts him. She stops responding. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do this on purpose with one another. But we're so busy, that's what it feels like, doesn't it? It's not a matter, by the way, of technology. It's not a matter of text messages or cell phones or Facebook. But as long before those things came along, did wives not say to their husbands, I just don't feel like you're here. I feel like you're a million miles away. Are you listening to what I'm saying? We've had this whole conversation and you haven't said a word. There was ghosting before there was social media. There was ignoring people before there was text messaging. And the problem wasn't with technology, it was with what I was invested in and what waters I was swimming in. They live their lives, those in the fray, as a phantom. They only see people when they stop to do so. They live disengaged lives. Number two, according to this text, they waste energy. They waste energy. The middle part of verse 6, they make an uproar, New, New American Standard, they make an uproar for nothing. This is not, by the way, about being dramatic. It would be a great, great passage if that's what we're talking about. You ever know anybody in life to make an uproar over nothing? 
to get mad and bent out of shape over something that really isn't worth getting mad and bent out of shape about. That's not what this is talking about, but that would make a great lesson. The passage means that they, they put their energy and effort toward things that won't matter. They make a fuss. They prioritize. They spend energy that at the end of the day will simply be wasted. ESV says, for nothing they are in turmoil. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This passage won't be on the screen. Keep your place, keep your place in, in Psalm 39. We're going to come back there. But there's a, there's a, a set of, of passages connected to the summary of the life of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 that I think are important as we consider this idea of wasted energy. You might recall that, that the story of Moses is told in, in several phases. In Hebrews 11, there's a lot of time and energy spent to his life considering the, the number of people that are mentioned in, in, the, in this great uh, chapter of faith. The Bible says in verse 23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw his beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, how many times have you heard someone make the, the argument from that passage that, that sin and its pleasures are fleeting? That what you will enjoy today in sin, you won't enjoy tomorrow because it will bring consequence and it will bring ruin, it will bring separation from God, and that, that sin is, is, is fleeting and passing away. That is true. But I also need to keep in mind this fact. I can spend my time on things that are fleeting, that are not sinful in and of themselves, but spending my time becomes sinful there. When I make an uproar over nothing, when all of my energy and effort is spent toward those things that will be burned up, or done away, or decay, and at the end of it all, I have nothing to show for it because I've spent every ounce of energy I have on the things that don't matter, we need to do a lot of soul searching and determine whether or not that which is urgent is also important. Because that's where our schedules get to, right? I've got to do this. Why? Because it's on my to-do list and it's what I committed to. What's the end value in that? What's the final tally? Where does that get you? What does it provide for your family? How does it strengthen you spiritually? But I committed to it. Maybe we need to do some uncommitting or decommitting in our lives. Of removing some things from our schedule that are uproars over nothing. When it's all said and done. I'll, I'll tell on me. When Shannon and I were first married, we didn't, as most newly married couples, especially at 18 and 19 years old, didn't make a whole lot of money. But most of the people around us did. And we wanted to live the lifestyle they lived. And so we had a credit card. And we'd go to Memphis and we want to eat out. We didn't have the money in the bank, but guess what we had? We had a credit card. We could go eat on a credit card. Do you understand how foolish that is at the end of the day? Because there's nothing to show for it. It's gone. The plate's empty. And the money is owed and the interest is earned. And it took us a good long while to get out from under all of that. Making up for over nothing. Staking our signature and our, 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 our credit and, and our money and our future and our children's future on 
what amounted to, to food in our bellies. When there was plenty to eat at home and cheaper options out there. But we, we made an uproar. We, we spent over nothing. But maturity says that you learn and you do bit better. But yet, sometimes we have a world of spiritual people who are immature when it comes to urgent matters versus important matters. Things that demand my attention and things that deserve my attention. And those sometimes are two very different things. Third thought in verse 6. Not only do they live disengaged lives and waste energy, they, they have no real goal. That's the end of the passage. They, they amass riches without knowing who will gather them. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the last part of that chapter, verse 12 and on, will talk a lot about the, the riches that a man accumulates and how they are hurt for him. And how that he does so that he can leave it to his son, but then his son wastes it and it has no value. I think you can stop a, a step short of that and just say that your children are not guaranteed to get what you're gathering. The government might take it. Or you may lose it in some stock market crash before the end of your life. But the, but the truth of the matter is this. When you're gone, you will not know what happens to that. And it won't matter to you. That's the point. There's no real goal in that. There, there's, there's nothing gained. That's what life in the fray looks like. Now here's the answer. It's found in the middle section of our passage. Teach me to know my end and the extent of my days. Let me know how transit I am. Behold, you have made my days as hand's breadth. You have, my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Three phrases that highlight the answer. Number one, Lord, teach us to know our end. Now, the request there isn't tell me how I'm going to die and tell me when I'm going to die. But help me to remember that I am going to die. That in the end, I will stand before the Lord in judgment. And I will, like the talent, men in the, in, in the, in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, I'll answer for what he's placed in my hand and on my calendar and in my arsenal. Teach me to know that's the end of it all. If you had to give an account for every penny that you spent, young people to your parents, or husbands to your wives, or wives to your husband, or all of us to a financial planner, how would it change the way we spend our money? Realize that, that every second of time, every ounce of energy, Every calendar year, I will stand before the Lord in the end and answer for how I've used it. Will it change the waters that I swim in? Will it help me to be exalted above the fray? Help me, number two, to know the extent of my days, the measure of my life. Again, not necessarily talking about the number of years I will live, but that I only have a few. And the older we get, the quicker they go by. And the less it seems like that we get accomplished in them. Help me to know that I will not live forever. 
Help me to know, number three, how transient I am. How transient my life is. How much of a vapor I am. One, one paraphrase of this passage says, Help me to know that my days are numbered and that life is fleeting. That I'll know to live above the fray. Now, I don't believe those three things really have to be taught to us. I think we know them. We know that our life is but a vapor, that our years are numbered, and that we will one day stand before the Lord in judgment. We know that. But our lives don't always reflect it. We live with the assumption that we will have tomorrow, tonight, the next day, the next year. So how do I know how do I know if I'm living above the fray or in the midst of the fray? That's actually another lesson for another time. But I'll end with a couple of points of application in case I haven't made everyone upset this morning. I can accomplish that in the next two or three minutes. You ever find yourself saying, I don't have time for that preacher. We're just too busy. I know, elders, I know what you want from me, but you don't understand how, pl- how full our plate is. You don't realize all the commitments that we have. we have. We have school stuff on Monday and Tuesday, and then we have sports on Wednesday and Thursday, and then Fridays and Saturdays are spent with families. I may be there Sunday. But the extra stuff, we're just too busy. Those are the waters we swim in, and we have to live among them. It's just our time. I had two things going on in our world, sports world and political world, this, this week. Last Sunday afternoon, death tragically of a famous basketball player. And, and, and almost across the board throughout the NBA this past week, there have, been, there have been certain ways to honor the memory of Kobe Bryant. I've watched a number of them. I've read articles about it. It interests me. I'm a sports fan, and so I'm in that world, and it matters to me. There's been debate over, you know, what could have done different, and, and, and was he the man that he needed to be, and, and does he get the credit that he deserves? And, and they've debated that and talked about that, but they spent the week honoring his memory, and we joined in, some of us, with that honoring. The political world. We've been in the midst of an impeachment trial in our country. And the evidence has been weighed and more evidence has been wanted and, and everyone who has an opinion has had an opinion. Now here's my question. Have I spent more time this week honoring the memory of a fallen basketball player than I have honoring the Savior who died for my sins? If so... I'm probably living in the fray and not above it. And if I've spent more time this week trying to prove the innocence of a sitting president to my friends and co-workers and family than I have trying to convince them that Jesus Christ is the answer to all of their problems, I have probably 
been held down by the fray. We need more men of this class who understand our times and the wisdom that it takes to live within it. Are you in the midst of the fray this morning? If you are, the answer is to number our days and to realize that we stand before the Lord one day in judgment. And that what we do now will be measured against what he has required of us and we will give an account when this life is over. It means if you're not a Christian, you will be judged accordingly. And so, with everything else in the world stopped right now, and we're not, we don't have our to-do list open if we do close it, we're not, we're not ordering at a restaurant, we're not planning a school calendar, we're spending just a brief moment in time inspecting our soul. If you're not right with the Lord, get right. Become a Christian. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name and be baptized in water. Have your sins washed away. Now, what that will not do is it will not clear your schedule. Not automatically. But the priorities of that life will if we live them out. Are you living them out? Or have you been overcome by the fray? Whatever your need is, we encourage you to come while we stand and while we